a man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not, but later changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning to be with us in this place. And we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. So last week, if you'll recall, we talked about fair and unfair. Topics that, though they are close to every one of our hearts, are most closely associated with children. Certainly I used several childhood illustrations in last week's sermon. And this week, we find that we have another children's topic. This week, it's chores. Maybe our children's minister should be taking notes, right? Future children's sermon material here. This week, we have Jesus telling a parable about a man asking his sons to do chores. But before we talk about the parable itself, let's note what Jesus is doing here. Remember, he's telling this story in response to a dishonest question. The chief priests and elders come to him and ask, by what authority are you teaching? Now, the question, though, is not actually the only important thing here. It's also important to note when this question is being asked. This is Matthew chapter 21. So we're getting down near to the end of the gospel of Matthew, which means that we're in Holy Week. Not Holy Week in the life of the church, but Holy Week in the life of Jesus. This is the last week of Jesus' life. Things are really coming to a head. And this is the context in which the chief priests and elders ask their dishonest question, a dishonesty that is spotlighted when Jesus turns the question around on them, right? Rather than answering their question about his authority, he asks them a question about someone else's authority. He asks them, if John the Baptist was acting on God's authority or on his own or some human authority when he was baptizing people in the Jordan River. And the priests and elders have a little huddle and they decide that they're not going to answer. They're caught between a rock and a hard place, aren't they? They can't say that John was acting on God's authority because then they'd have to answer why they didn't believe him. And they can't say what they really think, that he was acting on his own human authority, because they know that the gathered crowd all thinks that John was sent by God. So they continue this dishonest line of questioning with another lie. We don't know, they say, even though they really think they do. And so Jesus says, likewise, he's not going to tell them by what authority he's acting. And then by way of illustration, he tells them this story. A story of two sons asked to go and do their chores. Now, 
This is an incredibly simple story, just a couple of lines long. The first son refuses to go work in the vineyard, but later actually does go and work. The second son tells the father that he will go and work, but then doesn't actually do it. And as we interpret this little story, keep in mind the context that we just looked at. Jesus tells this story to a group of people who are lying to him. They believe one thing, but aren't saying it because of the pressure of the crowd. So the distinction between telling lies and telling the truth will be very important here. We just keep getting deeper and deeper into children's ministry territory here, don't we? Doing chores and telling the truth. Let those who have ears hear. So let's begin our interpretation of this parable. So neither son wants to go work in the field, right? We know the first one doesn't want to go because he has the temerity to just straight up tell his father to his face that he's not going to do it. Now, this is a big no-no in my house, and it's probably a big no-no in your house too, but in a first century Jew's house, this is mind-bogglingly disrespectful. You just did not do this to your parents. You might possibly defy them behind their backs, but to just say no to their face was way over the line. So we know without a shadow of a doubt that this first son did not want to do his chores. He says so. But we also know that the second son didn't want to do his chores either. Because despite what he says to his father, he doesn't actually do them. So this is our starting place. The two sons' hearts are in the same place. Their hearts are both in a place of disobedience, aren't they? But here's the key, or at least here's the first key. The first son tells the truth, and the second son tells a lie. Neither of them wants to go work, but only the first son is honest about it. Now, do you know that there is a church word for being honest about a disobedient heart. We have a word just for that. It's called confession. And that's really what this sermon is going to be about this morning. It might seem at first that this little parable doesn't have much to do with confession. We don't have a sort of tearful return to the father like we have in the thematically similar parable of the prodigal son. But we do have a similarly changed heart. A son who begins the story with a heart of disobedience ends it in a harmonious relationship with his father, doing the work that his father asked him to do. Something happens, right? The son who says no to his father's face ends up working in the vineyard. And I'm going to suggest to you that the thing that happens is confession. But before we spend a few more minutes talking about what does happen in the story, I think it's interesting to note what doesn't happen here. Right? This story that Jesus is telling is clearly not some kind of fake it till you make it lesson, is it? If it was, 
It would feature the second lying son going into the field, even though he didn't really want to, and finding himself over time becoming glad that he honored his father in the end. The work would happen first, and the heart would change later. That's the parable, I think, that we all tell ourselves. It's certainly what we want when we ask our own children to do their chores, isn't it? We don't care about the heart. We just want the chores done. But that's not what happens in Jesus' story. In this story, in the story of Christ, the heart changes first and the work comes after. Remember, Jesus is very critical of looking good on the outside when your insides don't match up. The traditional fake it till you make it organization of things. He calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, commenting on the dishonesty inherent in the difference between their outsides and their insides. Whitewashed tombs are definitely those second sons, right? The kind of people who would tell their father, yes, I'll go to work. After all, you want to look like an obedient son, but you wouldn't actually go. Like the Pharisees, you would look great and religious and obedient on the outside, but inside you're just full of death. So if the two brothers start with the same heart of disobedience, the same interior tomb... Only one was whitewashed and the other wasn't. One lied about it and the other didn't. How does it happen that the first brother actually ended up going to work? Well, his heart itself must have been transformed. That's where the change had to have happened, right? In his heart. And this is where we get back to confession. Jesus, remember, is telling this story to a bunch of lying elders and chief priests who feel one thing in their hearts but are too afraid of appearances and of the crowd to be honest about it, to tell the truth. So Jesus tells them a story about a change of heart, about a son with a heart of disobedience who is honest about it. And then has something come in and actually change his heart. To find out what comes in, to find out what actually changes the heart, let's turn now to our other assigned reading from this morning from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. In these verses, we have a profoundly beautiful description of Jesus' lowering himself to accomplish the salvation of the world. Listen. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, 
So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is how we get from there to here. Or more accurately, from here to there. From sitting comfortably under the shade of a tree, heart full of disobedience, telling our Father straight to His face that we have no intention of doing our chores, to a place where we are at work in the vineyard with the heart of a servant from sin to redemption, from self-centeredness to loving service. Once again, we find out that it's all about Jesus. Now, listen, this isn't a preacher's trick where the answer is always Jesus, even when it isn't. I know that Jesus is not a character in the story that he himself is telling to these elders and chief priests. But he is, of course, the central character in the drama that is being played out even as they are having this conversation. Remember, this is Holy Week. The cross and the empty tomb are right there on the horizon. The mighty acts that will cause every knee to bend and every tongue to confess are just about to happen. Confession, honesty about a disobedient heart, is about to be met with absolution and redemption, won by God himself, being found in human form, humbling himself, and being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Jesus' little parable, we don't really get an answer to the why question. Why did the first son have this change of heart? It doesn't say. It's just something ineffable that happens in the story. But Paul knows the only thing that can really change hearts. Paul knows, for instance, that the Lord spoke to Ezekiel, promising to remove hearts of stone from his people and replace them with hearts of flesh. Only God can change a heart. And Paul wants us to know that the way he has done that for all time is on the cross. Therefore, says Paul, therefore, because of the great and powerful sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross, therefore... God also highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend on earth, in heaven, under the earth, everywhere, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Christ and Christ's finished work changes hearts. And Paul, writing to those Philippians and to us, says, Let this mind be in you, the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. He's talking about the lowering of self. In other words, confess. 
acknowledge your disobedient heart. What is for Jesus an act of will, lowering himself from a deserved, exalted status, is for us an acknowledgement of the truth, a confession of our heart of disobedience. We admit that we are the very sinners that Christ had to become in order to accomplish our salvation. Remember, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bend. That's confession. Confession is the appropriate response to hearing the name of the Holy One, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the one who laid aside his holiness to accomplish your salvation. And the result of this confession, this honesty about a disobedient heart, is a new heart. A new life, your heart of stone is removed and replaced with a heart of flesh. You are a new creation. And having heard the lengths to which God in Christ went to win your salvation, you will not be able to help but go out into your father's vineyard. You will not be able to help doing, as we pray at the end of every service, All the good works that he has prepared for you to walk in. This isn't fake it till you make it. This isn't whitewashed tombs. This is a new heart. Indeed, a new life in Christ. Listen. When we believe, as so many do, That fake it till you make it is the way forward. Everything becomes a chore. Our hearts remain unchanged and are left in their disobedience. We become whitewashed tombs. Our hearts of stony disobedience need to hear the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For you. For you. This gospel is so good, such good news, that it actually changes us. We hear Christ's name and our knees bend. Our tongues confess that he is Lord and we are not. And we are given a new heart. And then, only then, we go into our Father's vineyard, ready to work with a joyful heart. Jesus is the creator, giver, and sustainer of this new heart, and his gospel is what makes it beat. Jesus died for the ungodly, for sinners, 
He died for those of us who say no to our parents. And then, through his Holy Spirit, he inspires us, works in us, and takes away that heart of stone, replaces it with a heart of flesh. He changes what was once an intolerable chore into an awe-inspiring privilege. And how? By having done all the chores already. By removing the disciplinarian. By fulfilling the law. I did it for you, he says. And when we hear that, we are moved. When we hear that, we are changed. When we hear that, we are indeed reborn. Hearing that, the finished work of Christ for sinners, we are ready to go out into the world, into our Father's vineyard, to work for Him, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Amen.